Welcome to the Reclaim Your Rise podcast. My name is Lauren Bongiorno, a nationally board certified health coach and founder and CEO of Risely Health, where we help people and families impacted by type 1 diabetes take ownership over their lives so that they can transform with more freedom and confidence. Everyone has a different reason to be here. You might be seeking knowledge, support, or community, but at your core, I know that you long for something deeper. You're here for transformation. And that's what the Reclaim Your Rise podcast is all about. And oftentimes I see with clients, like there's this sense of, I need to be confident before I can do this thing, yes. but it's actually the reverse. It's like you build the confidence through imperfect experience. A quick reminder before we start the show that nothing you hear on the Reclaim Your Rise podcast should be a substitute for personalized professional medical advice. Please always consult your physician or other medical professional before making any changes to your diet, insulin dosages, or healthcare plan. This episode is brought to you by Omnipod. Hey guys, what's going on? Lauren here. So before we dive into today's episode, I want to share a brief announcement that may be helpful to you. So if you're on a journey of lowering your A1C and you have not worked in a coaching capacity with our team before, and you are looking for more in-depth support and tools for how to lower your A1C and increase your time and range sustainably, just beyond the you know information and support that you get from listening to these podcast episodes or from me on social, I'm going to be hosting a free virtual masterclass on Sunday, October 1st at 12 p.m. Eastern. I haven't done one of these in a really long time and I wanted to crank one out before the end of the year um, because these are always really popular. So in this masterclass, we're going to spend 75 minutes together, you and I doing three things. Number one, we're going to identify the top three mistakes that so many type ones make that keep them from reaching their A1C and diabetes goals. Uh, Number two, you're gonna learn my exact strategy and process for how to lower your A1C and increase time and range without guesswork and overwhelm. Um, And number three, how exactly you're going to implement tangible steps. We're going to go over this to bridge the gap between your current A1C and where you want to be. Really, this is the framework for how we have helped over 650 people with type 1 diabetes over the years achieve the outcomes that you see us share on social media and the stories you hear on the podcast. Um, And so we're going to make it really concise for you in this masterclass. I want to make sure that everyone coming to the masterclass is like, it's going to be helpful for you. So um, I'll share a little bit of like who this is best fit for. So number one, it's for you if you've been trying to lower your A1C for a while, but you find yourself hitting up against the same blocks. Number two, um, if you need more support than what you're getting from your endo, if you're getting a lot of like, hey, you need to lower your A1C and let me just try to change this one rate for you and hope that does the trick. Um, If you're like, okay, I know it's so much more than that, but I I don't know what it is, this is something that you definitely want to come to. Um, and number three, if you are overwhelmed by all of the variables and you don't know where to start and you're like, it's just, there's so many things, like how do I even get one step forward to where I want to be? Um, that is going to be, you know, for you, because if you are attending this masterclass, uh, the goal is that you leave with more clarity, more guidance, roadmap, more motivation. And you'll also, as just something that we gift everybody who makes more space for their diabetes and comes and spends some time on the masterclass, we gift you a discounted rate on some of our online courses that we do have. So, uh, click the link in the show notes to save your seat. It is free. However, we have a 500 person limit. So make sure you sign up as soon as you hear this, if you want to come. Okay. Now let's get into today's episode. 
Today on the show, we are doing a listener Q&A around lowering your A1C, and I've brought on Brooke Kassoff, T1D, for 17 years and coach on the Risely team to help me out in answering some of your questions. I'm so excited to introduce Brooke to you and to the Reclaim Your Eyes community because she is just an outstanding human, like one of the nicest people that you'll ever meet and so incredibly dedicated to her work with her clients in the coaching space. Brooke is a national board certified health coach and avid international traveler, runner, and educator. She's all of the things, and you'll hear more about her in a second. But in this convo, we talk about topics of hypo-anxiety, control IQ, overnight highs, how to not have to sacrifice foods you love at the same time of wanting to increase your time and range. It's like a grab bag of all the different things. Uh, after listening to this episode, I want to encourage you to write into hello at risingheath.com and let us know if this is an episode format that you liked, any questions that you have that you want us to answer on future episodes. And of course, if you are not already subscribed to the podcast channel, just go ahead, whatever platform you're listening to it on, whether it's Spotify, Apple, anywhere else, press the plus sign. This helps other people with diabetes find this podcast um, and benefit for the information as well, as well as it helps you get alerted when there's new episodes that drop. Okay, without further ado, help me welcome Brooke to the show and let's rise. Brooke, welcome to the show. I'm so happy that we're doing this episode together. Thank you for being here with me. Oh my gosh. Thank you so much, Lauren. It's such a treat to get to spend time with you in this space as opposed to in our usual Zoom room. I know. I know. It's a different, different space. I love that also. We just had that moment right before we pressed record where we were like, all right, blood sugar check, what's going on? (laughs) I took out my pump. I'm like, all right, I'm not going to work out, but I need to put it on activity mode because my blood sugar is dropping and I, and I needed to get boosted up and you did the same. Did you put yours? So you have tandem. So what did you do with yours? I have tandem. So I was still in sleep mode, but I did a high intensity interval class like an hour ago. So I know like my insulin sensitivity is going to be like out of control today. So I just turned off sleep mode and, and I'm in my regular control IQ mode because I'm expecting a little bit of the adrenaline um, from being live is also going to probably boost my blood sugars a little bit. Yes, that happens. That happens a lot, even for me as as the host, uh, depending who I have on, but my blood sugars, the adrenaline definitely usually kicks in. But um, I was just saying my, since coming back from Europe, my insulin sensitivity is so high. So Mm -hmm. I've had to like redo kind of my ratios yesterday a little bit. I had a bad low after I had pasta for dinner and it's like, you know, you're always pasta. Okay. Like, let's over bolus. We're back in America. And then it's just like, you know, it's more processed and like, no, let's, we're still insulin sensitive. So now I'm currently right now, 73 with a straight arrow down. This is actually like a good thing for people to hear. I feel like who mm-hmm. are like, have like high anxiety with low blood sugars because I'm 73 straight arrow down, but I had one of those applesauce pouches right before oh, this, yeah. my blood sugar, I put my pump on activity mode and we're just gonna, mm-hmm. we're gonna ride this out. Like I pre- feel pretty confident and it'll level out so we can, I'll do an update maybe at the end and, um, and see, but I'll keep an eye on it. I love that. I love that. Yeah. And also know at any point, if you need to like grab another applesauce pouch, you can do that. It's this no is big deal. The best thing about working with other T1Ds is just it's open. <laughs> you don't have to be like thinking about it in the background. You just say it how it is. I know. But okay, Brooke, so we have a question, uh, a listener Q&A that we're going to do today, but I, you have not been on the podcast yet. So I would love to do some introduction, share with everybody listening who you are, what your background is and your ties to type one. And uh, 
I, you know, we might as well just have you share or reclaim your rise story. So um, is there a moment in time that you, a story that comes to mind about how you reclaimed your rise with type one diabetes and, and yeah, you have the floor to, to share a little bit about you before we dive in. Yeah, totally. Thank you, Lauren. And I'm so thrilled to be here and get just to get to spend time with you. So yeah, so in terms of my story, so I was diagnosed with type one when I was 15 years old in 2005. So it's been just over 18 years that I've been living with type one. And when I was diagnosed, I had probably the best care that I could have hoped for at the time. I had a great endocrinologist and I remember him telling me the first night that I was in the hospital, I think my blood sugar was like in the 900s or low thousands. Um, I felt miserable and just had no idea what this condition called type one was and what it meant for my life going forward. And he said to me, you know, type one isn't gonna prevent you from doing anything that you wanna do in your life it's just going to require a little bit of extra planning. And so I really took that to heart. Um, and also at the time he had said with like great certainty, like, I know that there's going to be a cure for this within the next five years. Like I'm certain of it. And I also took that to heart because I trusted his opinion and, and really respected him. And um, I remember for those first five years, kind of just like, you know, doing my best. I was transitioning from high school to college. Um, mostly what I wanted to do was just not feel limited by type one. And so what that led to was like, you know, bouncy blood sugars uh, for the most part and an A1C that was like good enough, but not great. And I remember really clearly on my fifth anniversary, I think I was, you know, walking through New York City, I was in college and I remember thinking, what if there's never a cure for diabetes? It's been five years. What if there's never a cure in my lifetime? And immediately I was like, ooh, that's depressing. But then what it got me thinking about was like, okay, well, if there's not a cure, how would I wanna live my life? How would I wanna be with this condition um, and, and be with my body? And so that kind of led me on an odyssey to really starting to bring more curiosity to what would be possible when it comes to my diabetes management, but specifically in terms of how I could start to like really integrate my type one care into my everyday life and into the things that were really important to me. And so um, fast forward, you know, like a decade or so, I moved from Ghana back to the US after working there for a few years and then out to California for a new job and was at a place in my diabetes where like my blood sugar was had been below six, my A1C was below 6% for years, but I was pretty stressed and burnt out in my diabetes management. And I signed up for a mindfulness-based stress reduction course at Stanford, because I'm like, uh, mindfulness is supposed to be helpful. Let me see, you know, let me see if it can support, you know, just my ability to manage the stress. And so it was in the course of taking that class and, and really developing a regular meditation practice that I realized like, wow, probably four to five out of every 10 thoughts I have in a day are related to diabetes in some way or related to my blood sugars. And most of them aren't particularly nice. <laughs> most of them are really self-critical, judgmental, harsh. Um, and so from there, I started to get curious about like, oh, what would it be like to actually treat myself and treat my experiences of diabetes from day to day with more compassion, with more openness, 
and space. And so I'll never forget the day when I was walking. I think I was in the office and somebody had brought donuts and my blood sugar was like hanging out in the 120s or something. And I bolused for my donut. It had like a piece of it. And like two hours later, I was in the 200s going up. And my first thought was, oh, you shouldn't have had that donut. That was so stupid. And then it was like almost like automatically I had another thought, which is like, and this is really hard. What can I do to take care of you right now? And I was like, oh, oh. And so it was that practice of really cultivating my compassion for myself that I realized like transformed my life with diabetes and opened up so much more space for curiosity, for learning, and for just more ease, um, especially in moments of challenge, which there's no shortage of usually with type one. Um, So that was the moment for me really reclaiming my rise and it continues to really like show up and serve me uh, in my day to day with diabetes. Well, thank you for sharing that. And I think that's one of the reasons and, and why we bonded so quickly in uh, when we met, what was it, two two years ago, a year ago yeah. now, a year and a mm-hmm. half ago uh, in San Diego uh, for that, is that where we were? ADCES. ADCES. Yep. I was like, where were we? I feel like I'm on flights <laughs> and places and I'm like, I don't even yes. know where that was. <laughs> um, but we were somewhere together and it was that that understanding and that bond and, and that notion of the mindfulness piece and a lot of coaching being rooted in kind of that like yogic philosophy of like practicing patience and cultivating that self, you know, self-compassion and all of these things that it's almost like we're diagnosed with diabetes. We get the tactical tools, but we actually don't get the tool set that it helps us with our mindset and that we all as type ones really, really need. And so our auto mode is to go into the judgment or to go into the avoidance, whatever your personality is. And, um, you know, for you, it was maybe, you know, really it was easier because of your personality to go into the, okay, the blood sugars and, and getting to the below six A1C was not the challenge. It was the actually, how do I live sustainably with this and be happy? Yeah. Yeah. And make, make diabetes a friend rather than an enemy or something I have to fight every day. Yeah, absolutely. And so speaking about, you know, those archetypes. So I visited you a couple of months ago and like earlier this year, and we locked our, we locked ourselves in your, in your, yeah. in your home, your husband was at work and we locked ourselves in there and we had post-it notes and, you know, music going in the background to foster creativity and conversation. And, um, I'm just wondering, because, you know, I would love for you to share a little bit more about what we, what we did that day, because you are a coach on the Risley team, but you are also helping to codify our methodology and improve our training for new coaches that come on the team. So I'd love for you to share a little bit about that. Yeah. Well, it's such a privilege for me to get to work on. And so really, I mean, I, from even before I joined Risley as a coach, I was well aware of just how influential Risley and you have been in really beginning to transform the standard of care for people with type 1 diabetes, for being able to challenge the notion of like, you know, meeting once every six months with an endocrinologist and just getting the surface level kind of guidance um, is enough for, for dealing with all of the complexities that, that naturally come with um, living a full human life, especially with this condition. And so um, when I joined Risley, it was like, I, I felt like a, 
like a kid in a garden, like just like sticking my fingers into the soil and like taking in all that was around me. And so it became clear, you had mentioned, I think like, oh, it'd be really great to be able to take what we know works so well with the diff with the most common challenges we see our clients facing and to be able to share that with other people that are serving this community around the country and around the world. And so, um, and one of the beauties of Risely is like all of the coaches are like steeped in our T1D health coaching and steeped in especially you know, not only the the educational components that come with T1D management, but also really the mindset work. Like, how do we transform our beliefs and how we relate to ourselves and to our diabetes in a way that's going to help us to continue to grow and that's going to be sustainable throughout the duration of our lives? And so that opened up the door to really beginning to actually put pen to paper and see like, okay, what what do we know is the secret sauce at Risely that like, helps our clients to transform their lives, especially over a pretty short period of time. And so we've been kind of collaborating and, and co-conspiring on being on documenting that methodology and also really developing or beginning to develop trainings that we can use both for coaching new coaches internally within the Risley team, uh, but also the hope is in the future for coaches and clinicians around the world. Yeah. It's, it's crazy that the idea and that conversation that we had last year together is now happening and it's in progress and it's in motion. And I, you know, a lot of the questions that I know were sent in, they're very tactical. I feel like I'm looking through them right now. Majority are, are tactical, but there's also some mindset pieces in there too. And so we could also, you know, weave in part of our answers on, you know, what we see because it is different for, for everybody. But I do think that generally the questions that we selected that um, everybody sent in, you know, a lot of people will say, oh, like that's a challenge I'm having too. And so, you know, why don't we, why don't we get into it? Kick it off. Let's do it. All right. Well, the first question we received is from Jessica. And she shared that a big challenge in lowering my A1C is that my pump shuts off when it sees or predicts me going too low. And then I have a rebound high. How can I compensate for this? Mm. Such a great question. Such a great question and such a great level of awareness for this person, Jessica, for your body, because, you know, a lot of people will you know, treat their low and then go high afterwards and just be like, oh, like, I don't understand. I only had 10 carbs. Like, why am I going high? Maybe I need five carbs, you know, next time. But the awareness that and connection to, hey, this is actually a technology problem and a pump problem is, is you're one step already like in the right direction. So I think the, the big kind of umbrella theme here that I do want to address is that a lot of people get frustrated with technology and think that that's, you know, oh, I need to switch pumps because this one's just not getting me to where I want to be. Or, oh, it's this pump and this, the, the, the new newest version of this isn't solving XYZ problem. And I think that we all have to shift our perspective and say that, hey, like technology is there as to be helpful, but we have to learn how to optimize it. And we are smarter or have the ability to be more intelligent than the technology is. And so um, I'll give an example for this one. So this morning I went to the gym and I was 113 sideways arrow down going into the workout. 
And I don't always use the activity mode on my Omnipod 5. I use it for certain situations for the exact reason that Jessica is saying, because it sometimes ends up in a rebound high. But in this case, I turned it on and I put it on for an hour. And then as soon as I was done with the workout, I think about like 45 minutes later, I turned it off and I was sitting at like 105 straight arrow um, to the side. And I knew that if I went into my meal by the time I was home in 15 minutes with that, and I just ate and gave the normal normal amount of insulin for that food, I would have, I would have ended up high. And so I added kind of like a phantom extra, I think 10 carbs to what I was about to have for a pre-bolus to counteract the fact that I knew that that reduction of insulin that I wasn't getting for 45 minutes would come to bite me in the butt afterwards if I didn't, you know, address it. So that's kind of what comes to mind for me as a, as an example of, of how I kind of combat that. But I'm curious to hear your thoughts as well, if any, you know, clients come to mind or just, you know, experience for you. Totally. Yeah. And I love, I love the theme that you're pulling out from this question, Lauren, of like really putting the, the recommendations that our pumps give us into the context of what we know to be true about our lives from moment to moment. And so I've, I actually can really relate to this question um, because I use a tandem T-slim pump with control IQ and the first, you know, couple of months that I was using the pump, I was like, okay, I'm just going to like do my control IQ thing and see, see what happens, see what I can learn with this technology. And I quickly learned like, wow, I need to be even more diligent with my pre-bolus timing um, before meals and also be mindful about the automatic bolus calculation the pump is offering me if I'm going into a meal when my blood sugar is on the lower end of the spectrum. Um, because I would notice my pump would cut back on my insulin. Like say I was hovering at, I don't know, 75 or 80 going into a meal. Most likely my basal had been cut back, you know, for 30 minutes or so um, before that point. So I was getting a reduction in basal and then also a reduction in my mealtime bolus. And so that was like, and if I already treated the low, ate a few grams of carbs, I'm basically triple treating <laughs> a low blood sugar, exactly. which is like a recipe for a rebound high. And so um, I think just, I love the curiosity that's coming with this question of like, okay, I know there's something about the way in which my pump is responding to these low blood sugars that are contributing to the high. So seeing like, okay, what are some factors that you could explore one by one? Um, to try to preempt that rebound, whether it's like giving a little bolus, an extra bolus or um, whatever it looks like. Yeah. And I think in your example and in mine exam my example, while I was talking about activity mode and you were talking about directly the pump shutting off when you're going low, it's both about taking away that act that that background insulin that is the root piece there. And before there was control IQ or, you know, more of these automated pumps, which you were on and I was on as well, the pump didn't have the ability to do that. And so the way that we learned and trained our bodies to treat lows, it's almost like we have to now say, okay, well, the the way the pump is acting now is is different than that and so how do we how do we manipulate and how do we meet ourselves or meet the technology totally. where it's at to figure out what what works best for us totally totally yeah. yeah and i'll just add one more thing to that which is like also noticing with that reduction in background background insulin if you're on like a hybrid closed loop system you may not need as many carbs to treat a low blood sugar mm -hmm. as you may have needed when you were on 
kind of manual mode um, for your pump. So that's something I definitely learned was my sort of standard 15 grams of low blood sugar treatment would send me into like the 180s and 200s pretty yep. quickly. So whereas eight grams would bring me right to like 130. Many people don't know this, which is why we've partnered with Omnipod to help spread the word. But did you know that if you're curious about trying the Omnipod 5 tubeless wearable system, you can do so with no commitment, no obligation, and even if your current pump is in warranty? Crazy, right? Omnipod truly wants to make it as easy as possible for you to test our new system out and see how great life can be with it. There are so many benefits, my two highlights being that the activity feature sets a temporary higher target for times where less insulin is needed, and it integrates with Dexcom G6 to automatically adjust insulin every five minutes. So if you want to get on a pump for the first time, or if you want to have more freedom without a tubed pump, you can see if you're eligible for a free trial by going to omnipod.com slash rise. Fill out the quick form and they'll do the work to check insurance coverage for you. You can also view full safety information, instructions for use, and trial terms and conditions at omnipod.com slash rise. Now, right back to the show. Yeah. And that goes to, I know there's a question later on that we'll talk about, about um, fear of lows and hypo, hy uh, hypo fear. So we can, we can touch on that there, but let's go to question number two. Great. Question number two came from Alyssa and she said, my A1C is low 6.2%, but I feel like I have imposter syndrome because I don't know how I'm doing it. I have roller coaster numbers and it doesn't feel repeatable. How do you actually get an A1C that feels like it's reflective of your control? Hmm. I, I love this one because I think we hear this, we've been hearing this more fre frequently than not. And it takes a, um, a lot of honesty with yourself to admit that because I think we're trained to see the A1C as a be all end all. I'm like, oh, well, if my A1C is good, then I must be fine. But asking yourself and taking it that second layer, like Alyssa did of saying, actually, you know what, like the 6.2 A1C doesn't feel like a healthy 6.2 and it feels like my standard deviation is all over the place and not where I want to be. So I would say, you know, how do you actually get an A1C that feels like it's reflective of your control? The first thing is I would explore with your endocrinologist why that A1C is showing lower than you think that it is. And it could be for a few different reasons. It could, it could be, and maybe some of them you, you have visibility too, if you have a Dexcom on your Clarity app, but you can say, okay, well, it's a 6.2 because my percent time low is hot is is pretty high and that's actually dragging the a1c down and then you can look at the time and range as more of an indicator of your overall control um, sometimes there's other things like if you are anemic and you have low levels of iron right that can drive your blood sugar down uh, your a1c down as well so just doing some more like discovery and why why it is what it is and then part two is looking i think for me kind of just what i shared there about looking at those other markers like your standard deviation so that, that mean average of how high and how low you're going on an average, I like to think of it if I was explaining what standard deviation is to like a fifth grader, right? It's just like how small the roller coaster is on average yeah. for you on your, on your <laughs> chart. Because um, a lot of people don't know what that is. I know I didn't know for a really long time either. Um, and that average blood sugar. And with that, I would say with focus on that, um, that you're taking a step in the right direction. But what would you say there? Brooke, curious. Yeah, I love that. I mean, that would be my response just in terms of the like the data component and how you can use the data that you have access to to gain insight about your patterns. I think another thing that I think about in response to this question is also just like that that internal knowing of like 
okay, this is not sustainable or this is sustainable for me. And then getting curious, again, it can feel like, you know, when you're at the place of like, God, like my A1C looks great. Like I look great on paper in terms of my diabetes care, but I'm like fried to a crisp (laughs) in terms of trying Mm -hmm. to maintain it. And so just getting curious about like, okay, what are like the small pockets in my day-to-day life that I can start to bring a greater sense of, of stability and ease. And again, getting really specific. So it's like, if you notice a pattern of like, you know, really pronounced highs and lows after a specific meal, just starting there and being like, okay, well, what could I try here that could help me to have more stable blood sugars um, and also just support my energy during that time of day and after. Mm-hmm. Um, so almost becoming like a scientist of your own experience and like piece by piece, those little small changes add up um, not only to kind of improved blood sugar management and more stable blood sugars, but also just a greater sense of like peace, predictability and ease. Mm. And those, what you said right there was what I was going to touch on too, is it's the underlying message here is what she's really saying. What I think a lot of people in this same situation would say is like, I, the A1C that it's low, like is great, but like what I'm chasing is not the A1C. What I'm chasing is how a a feeling. I want to feel confident. I want to feel like I know my body. I want to feel like I I know how to trust my intuition. Like I'm not guessing constantly of like, oh, like I'm going to give this and I hope that works, right? Higher, higher amounts of predictability. So just to go back to kind of me in the beginning of the episode, talking about my blood sugar 79 or 73 straight arrow down. Now I'm 82 straight arrow across. And I just turned off my activity mode because that was like my backup just in case. So that I knew with confidence that like we didn't need to panic. I wasn't going to continue going to low, going low. I knew how much insulin I had on, on board. I knew all those pieces. And like that allows me to feel like just empowered. So, um, concentrating on that, what you, how you want to feel and then working backwards to say like, well, why, why am I not there? Why am I not there yet? And, and what do I need to bring in in order to start to feel more of more, more of that, whether that's education, different types of support, journaling on your patterns, whatever that looks like for you. Yeah. I love that. Oh my gosh. Shall we take the next question? Let's do it. Okay, this one's a juicy one. So Mel asked, hypofears keep me from lowering my A1C, and I have no idea if that's something I can ever overcome. Okay, so tell I want you to answer first. I'm curious. Do you have you had any clients that you've worked with with hypofear? I feel like yeah. I would say like about like 40% of our clients at Risley yeah. come in with a fear of low blood sugar. So what's been your experience? Yeah, yeah absolutely. I mean, it's it's I would say one of the most common and salient concerns that clients come in with. Mm -hmm. Um, It's either like a a strong fear or anxiety of low blood sugars or a strong fear around high blood sugars and complications. So it's like the flip side of the same coin. Yeah. So with those clients that you've had that have had the fear of lows, what have you found? What, what do you feel like they haven't, why do you feel like they hadn't been able to get past those blocks on their own? What was keeping them stuck in that fear? Yeah. I mean, I think it's, and, and this is something I recognize in myself as well, especially um, after I started on a CGM. Um, it's almost like the, the fear itself of like, oh my gosh, hypos, like, ah, they're so scary. It's so large. Like, what do I do? And it, and it can feel life or death. And also something that's like, 
because it feels so large, it's like, where do I even begin mm. to, to begin to shift um, how I relate to, to the experience of hypos or with fear, my fear of hypos. And so I think when I've been working with clients with a fear of hypos, I think the first step has been first just acknowledging like, yeah, the fear is there. Um, and that fear isn't like, it's not irrational. Like for many of my clients, they're rooted in pretty negative or, or challenging experiences that they've had in the past, either of a scary low blood sugar or a time in their life where they were alone and were hyper really vigilant of their blood sugars because they felt like it's up to me to keep myself alive. Mm. Um, and so just recognizing like, yeah, those feelings are valid, you know, and those and the, the needs underlying those feelings, which are the needs to, to, to feel safe fundamentally are real. Um, right. And they're not they're not wrong. Um, and then from there, getting curious about like almost like looking at that fear or that maybe the the beliefs related to that fear of I'm not safe when I'm alone or I'm not safe if my blood sugar goes below a certain number and almost like turning a microscope on them to see like, OK, what are the pieces that are contributing and sustaining to that belief? So like for me, I can remember I started on a, using a Dexcom about three years ago. And I remember the first three weeks I was on my Dexcom, I was like in freak out mode <laughs> because I went from <laughs> having five data points in my blood sugar a day to having like 400 data points. Um, and so all like overnight, I developed like a hyper reactivity to my blood sugar dropping. Um, and because I noticed for me, it was like after three weeks of just being on the roller coaster, I was like, okay, well, this isn't going to serve me for the long term. And it's like, it's not great for my blood sugars, but even more so it feels terrible in my mind because I'd be looking at my phone every few minutes. Um, I just got curious. I'm like, okay, what are the components that are contributing to this fear? And so for me, what I noticed was like, one of it was just seeing the data. So it was like almost I was outsourcing what I knew to be true about my body in the moment to this external device. Um, so it was like my what had been for the first 15 years I lived with diabetes was an internal knowing of like my body feels like I know the cues of a low blood sugar. I feel safe in my body right now. I then outsourced that to my phone to tell me like, are you safe or are you not? Mm. And so for that, it was like just starting small and being like, okay, I'm not gonna, and when I go into my next meeting for an hour, I'm not gonna bring my phone with me because I know I feel fine right now. Um, and just to see what is it like to move through life for 60 minutes without knowing what my blood sugar is. I think for others, what I commonly see with clients is a sense of, it's been a while since they last had blood sugars in range, like often, I'll see clients with really strong fears of hypos who will just keep their numbers running, you know, in the high 100s, 200s, or even 300s throughout the day. And so they've lost that sense of like what it feels like to have blood sugars that are in the recommended range. And so once they start to go in range, they can get really strong physiological feelings of low blood sugars. And mm -hmm. so then it's like, again, being like, okay, how do I work with this? now. Um, and for some clients, it's like through distraction of like, okay, I know my blood sugar is fine, but me and also like treating some of the symptoms. So maybe they get really intense hunger when their blood sugars start to go below 180. So it's like, okay, what could you eat? That's like filling, 
um, but also isn't going to bounce your blood sugar high again. Right. And then I would say, I mean, the last thing I can think of with that's most common with clients is also just thinking like really of the worst case scenario Mm. um, and going all the way to like, it's either, you know, my blood sugars are in the 200s all day or like I'm at risk of dying. And so it's, and a lot of that comes from, I think just like, there's a sense in what I hear from this question is like, I don't have the confidence um, to be able to even begin to move towards lower blood sugars, let alone treat a low blood sugar. And oftentimes I see with clients, like there's this sense of, I need to be confident before I can do this thing, yes. but it's actually the reverse. It's like you build the confidence through imperfect experience oh. um, and through small steps. And so just again, like designing and, and it doesn't have to be ba- major. Like if you're flying on a plane and the plane turns 1% in direction, you know, each hour, it's going to end up in a totally different place, even though you probably won't feel the 1% change. And it's the same way in these changes we want to make in our life. They don't have to be big in order for them to be able to land you in a really different place that you want to be. That is so, oh, everything right there. Like I, I, I feel that we as just humans, like in so many different scenarios, we wait for the thing to feel confident or to feel happy. And it's like, how do we just create that, you know, regardless of getting the thing and then just enjoy the journey while you're getting there. Right. And I know that's hard to say to somebody who has like an intense fear of low blood sugar, but, um, you know, I, I second everything that you said, but the one thing I will add is what this person is saying, what Mel, what you're saying is that like, I don't know if this is something I can ever overcome. And we have a Risley-ism. Um, we call them Risley-isms, just like a bunch of things that are, you know, that we created over the years at Risley that we use um, with our coaching clients. But this goalpost theory where you take, imagine like a football field or a soccer field and you have the goalpost on the left, um, the goal on the left side of the field, that's where you are right now. You have this uh, goal on the other side of the field that to you is like, okay, that's where I know I need to be, to be healthy, to be happy, to be confident, all of that. And that all feels, that goal feels so far away. So for right now, if you're on the left side of the field and you're like, all right, it feels really scary to you know, go into a work meeting below 200. And on the right side of the field, you would feel confident, you know, going into a work meeting at 100 or 110. Oftentimes we, the, the space in between the goals is so scary that we just they kind of psych ourselves out and say like, I, I can't even imagine like getting there because it's going to take so much work. It's so far away. I've never felt that before. So I don't know if that's possible for myself. And so what we have to do is we have to put these like mini flags or goalposts <laughs> in between kind of like a, like a gingerbread crumb, you know, trail to the other side saying, okay, well, like how do we create little micro moments of, um, kind of like moving forward and in a way that builds confidence and shows you, oh, wait, like I am moving forward and that, that was a win. And oh, wait, I can take one step further and that doesn't feel scary. And that feels possible and within reach. And before you know it, you're on the other side of the field and you're like, how the heck did I get here? But you just got there by like moving one foot in front of the other strategically. So we of course have things and tools that we use with clients who have that fear of low. Um, but it really all comes down to that belief that like you can change and that you're not stuck where you are. Yeah. Preach, Lauren, preach. Yeah. We both had some good sound bites in there. Yeah. <laughs> I love it. All right. Let's take our next question. So Catherine said, I want to continue to have foods I like, but when I do, my numbers go up. 
what's the secret? Mm, what is the secret? Okay. I want to continue to have the foods I like, but I, when I do, my numbers go up. What's the, so there's, I don't necessarily know. I wouldn't think of it as a secret. I would think of it as a multi-prong process, right? Um, most times with diabetes, the advice that's given is just one thing, right? It's, it's strictly, well, just don't eat the food or it's just give insulin. And when we try those things and it doesn't work, we get frustrated. But when you realize that your body actually is this, this incredible instrument or, um, you know, system, and we have to know from all these different kind of angles with our hormones and with, you know, nutrition and with exercise and with, you know, sleep and stress, like how all those things impact you, then you can start to pull certain levers in different situations. So you can eat those foods and, you know, maybe not see as, as high numbers. Um, so, you know, for, for you, Brooke, I'd love to ping it back to you. What would you say, um, like are some of those things that somebody, you know, wants to be looking out for when they are they don't even know where to start in order to have some of those foods that they keep going high from afterwards. What comes yeah, to mind? Yeah, I love this. And I think there's like a theme that relates to the previous question we had around like really sometimes the problems that we face with diabetes can feel really abstract of like, how do I have the foods that I want? But it can actually be really beneficial to get super specific of like, so for me, for example, like I didn't eat pad thai for years because each time I would eat it, my blood sugars would go high and stay high afterwards. So I was like, oh, that's a bad food. I'm not going to eat it. And then at some point I was like, you know what? I would really like to learn <laughs> how I can enjoy my pad thai and still have stable blood sugars. And so then it was like, that was a really specific problem that I could like gather insights around design experiments with in order to like little by little figure out exactly what strategies and resources worked well for me. And so that would be, you know, with this question, I would say like, start with one food that you love. That's like, this is a food I want to have in my life for the long term, and just begin with that. And then thinking about what are the different tools that I can flex in order to be able to still enjoy this food and also have pretty stable blood sugars. So like, so for me, I think about when it comes to meals, like pre-bolus time, um, bolus amount and strategy. Um, so thinking about like, is this the kind of food, like with pad thai, is this the kind of food that, like what is the carb count of the food? How much insulin do I need just to cover those carbs? Do I need extra insulin to cover the fat in the meal? Um, and then how do I time my dosing so that, you know, I don't get a second, like a rebound high late, like a few hours after I eat. But then also thinking creatively about some other tools that are at your disposal, so like hydration, movement, thinking about what you can add to your plate, like fiber, extra protein through vegetables or meats or plant-based protein and stuff. So it's like, I know that's a lot of information, but basically I think what it boils down to is like bringing a sense of curiosity and even play to the challenge of determining like what your body needs um, for your meals to support more stable blood sugars, um, one meal at a time. Yeah, no, yeah, that's the, all those things are what I'm thinking about. I would add to the list like level of insulin sensitivity and insulin resistance in accordance to your stress and hormones and where they are in um, just like that that day that you're eating that food. One thing I'll also add to is uh, one thing I've learned. Um, I would say one of the top lessons I, I did a 30 year 
30 lesson roundup um, for my birthday earlier this year. And one of the, the things on there was like, everything is a trade-off, right? Like everything in life is a trade-off. And so you can't have it all. So you have to really look at like, okay, if this is my priority right now, this may, you know, drop off a little bit. And so what I will say here is like, if you are somebody who doesn't, isn't at a place right now where you are prioritizing your overall health in terms of, you know, eating vegetables and, and, and fruits and more, you know, whole foods, and you're not prioritizing movement and walking and, um, not, not able to prioritize sleep and, and your stress levels and all the things that just everybody, whether you have diabetes or not, like is it's healthy for, right. Whether you're not prioritizing it because you're at a place where you're not feeling motivated and you don't know what the first step in the right direction to do all that is, or whether it's because of like circumstance and where your life stage is at right now. I think that the trade-off is that it is harder to eat those types of foods if you don't have that like supportive multi-prong um like foundation to that because what i don't want to send the message of is like oh like you can of course with diabetes just you know figure out your patterns and eat whatever you want and not go and not go high afterwards always it's a trade-off right like you can the more you are working on your overall just like holistic health the easier i do believe it becomes to eat those foods um and the trade-off is like if you're not at a place where all of those things are things that you're focusing on right now and they're not your priority and not in a bad way but like we all go through stages like i even know where i you know whether it's like grieving a, a loved one or you're just in like a high stress work couple of weeks like it's it's harder for sure during those times to eat the pizza and the croissants and all of those things and not have a high blood sugar so just recognizing that it's a trade off and not being hard on yourself if you're not right now currently like giving the space to those things, but also knowing that like, if you do go give space and, and time and energy to those things, it will become a little bit easier. Um, in addition to what you shared about like knowing your patterns and all those other strategies. So I wanted to yeah. add that as well. Absolutely. Oh yeah. my gosh. Well, we have one more question. Do we want to take it? It's a, it's a, let's do it. Do we have time? Okay. Yeah. So Dan said, how do I reduce the hovering highs overnight? This is another mm. question with, with many possible factors at play. What would you say? Yeah, I'd say, I mean, I, I would first get curious, Dan, and just say like, okay, well, what do you think could be some of the factors at play with this? Obviously, you know, we don't know, are you using multiple daily injections or an insulin pump? Could your technology or dosing be a factor also thinking about like what do you know to be true about your body in the evening and about your blood sugars um do you tend to eat higher fat meals for dinner um do you tend to feel more stressed or you know how active have you been throughout the day so all of these things can impact and influence our blood sugars overnight and so just sort of checking in and be like okay what do i what does my intuition tell me could be at play in contributing to this pattern of sustained highs overnight? And where is the next place I could start to experiment with to be able to bring my blood sugars closer to in range um, mm -hmm. in the overnight hours? Yeah, what, what I would say to that is to take the immediate answer of like, 
okay, what's causing these low or these highs overnight time? And whatever you say, go a step deeper and try to figure out like what is the cause of that thing? Because mm. a lot of times I feel like the where it's it stops too soon in the exploration where I remember when I was younger um, and going through like my relationship to food challenges, like I was high all the time at night because I would be like, quote unquote, perfect during the day of eating like, you know, just everything was, you know, healthy or not to say healthy because it's not to use that term, but like everything was like easier on my blood sugars, let's say, right? There was lots of vegetables, lots of whole grains, lots of fruit. And then by the time I got to nighttime, I just like all the stress of the day and also like not really truly fueling my body in the level it needed to be fueled during the day caught up to me. And I would just be like starving and ravenous and just go for foods that like, I didn't really know how to manage like my patterns with how it would impact my blood sugars and everything like that. And so that would be the cause of going high. So if I was to ask like, why am I high overnight time? It would be like overeating at night. But then most people say like, okay, I'm just going to stop overeating at night. But that's not the problem, right? The challenge is like, how do you set yourself up for success during the day? So exactly your point, get to the root, um, go a level deeper than you think the answer is and uh, know that, you know, just because that's your experience right now, it doesn't have to be your experience going forward and we, we can change our outcomes. Yes. (laughs) Yes. <laughs> then that is a wrap on the questions. That was all of them, right? That we picked five. That was all. Yep. Fantastic. Okay. So everyone listening, I hope that was um, a helpful speed round of questions and insightful, um, just like, you know, diabetes tips in a lot of different areas that you, that you gathered from the, from the uh, episode. And then also got to know coach Brooke. Thank you so much for coming on your debut. Yes. Thank you all. I hope that I'll see some of you in our group coaching calls or one-on-one coaching soon. Yes. Um, and if not, still like engage with us. It's such a joy. This being a member of the Type One community is such a privilege. It's like a bond that we all share with one another. So yeah, it's such a joy to be able to connect with you, Lauren, and and with the broader diabetes community. So thank you. Thank you. Thank you. So everyone listening, if you have any questions about the episode insights, if you want future questions answered, when we do another, another kind of like Q and a like this, submit them to hello at riselyhealth.com. Um, we'll also put the link for our one-on-one coaching and uh, group coaching. We're closed out for, for this year, but we'll start enrolling for January, 2024 soon, but we'll put all those links in the show notes. Thank you so much for listening. Thank you so much for being here with us today, everyone. And we will see you at same time, same place next week. Take care, everyone. Thank you so much for being here with me today and listening to this episode of Reclaim Your Rise. To let us know that the episodes we're putting out are impactful and to help us get our street cred up and let everyone else know that this is something worthy of their time to listen to, please leave a rating and review on our Apple podcast, send the show to other people impacted by T1D or maybe even your doctor, and share it on social media tagging at Risley Health and at Lauren underscore Bongiorno. New episodes of Reclaim Your Rise come out every single Tuesday, so make sure you are subscribed to the podcast so that you never miss a beat. Thanks again for listening, and as always, remember, diabetes is a challenge that we did not choose, but one that we can rise above.